Growing a business is hard, but it does not have to be. Once a week, we take a break from the hustle and bustle in business to talk about innovations and what's new in the C-suite. This is the Fractional C-Suite Retreat, and I'm Joseph Frost. Pull up a seat at the fire, grab a drink, smoke a cigar, and just join me as we relax, learn, and get inspired. This retreat is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow with better marketing strategy. Welcome. Today's guest, he's a sales coach and leader. He's refined thousands of salespeople into high-performing sales professionals. He helps businesses develop these uh, high-performing professionals and a high-performing professional culture. He is president and owner of Sandler Sales and Management Training in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome, Carl Schaphorst. Carl, glad to have you. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited about it. These are, these are fun. I've done work with you in the past, and I, I know this is going to be a, a great time. Yeah, at one point uh, years ago, I, uh, my video crew came in, and you were on the other end of a single camera. Now we're on dual cameras. It's a little Indeed. bit different. Yeah, it's a different time, different place. Let's 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 be for sure on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Well, let's kick it off with uh, the first question I like to ask guests, which is, um, what's an opportunity that you see uh, in the C-suite today, or or that other C-suite or business leaders should be thinking about? Well, yeah, um, you know, of course, I always look at look at things through the lens of, of sales. Uh, that's that's kind of the, the the world we live in. That's our wheelhouse, and uh, you know, uh, it's an interesting time that we're in. Um, I, I really think that the supply chain issues and and the pandemic and, and and inflation, all these things, have had an impact on on the effort of business uh, to to produce sales. Uh, a common theme has been. Um, uh, stop selling. We can't handle what we got. And uh, of course, that, ah, you know, I, I get it because the pain in trying to uh, uh, serve customers when you, when you don't have supply coming in yourself, it, it can be very difficult. Um, but uh, I always say that you should always have your sales function running at full speed uh, and, and make sure that, especially during these times, because when customers are in pain, when customers have problems, that's when they talk to salespeople because salespeople bring solutions, folks. Uh, we solve problems. And uh, to back off on that is, is, uh, is certainly not wise to take advantage of an opportunity is we should be all in. Now, look, I totally get if operations can't keep up. I understand that. And that's when salespeople just need to manage the expectation. In other words, talk to the customers, understand the customers, and then manage the expectations within the boundaries of what you're able to produce. And I tell you what, you won't get a, upset customers. You won't, you won't lose business. You will capture share. And some of our clients have done just that. You will capture share and, uh, and, and be able to capture even margin. So, uh, boy, what an opportunity is, is for us. Look, I know that a lot of your listeners are probably struggling with trying to get stuff out the door, maybe, you know, or maybe not. Um, but but we ought to have our salespeople not being reactive, not sitting back taking orders and, and letting the phone ring because it's ringing so much, but proactively going out and capturing market share, capturing enemy territory, because that has to be done with proactive effort. Reactive effort doesn't do it. So there, there may be some value in that for, for some of your listeners. That's great. Now, I always... Or never really think about it that way, but I've heard it quite a bit. Like we can't handle more business. Um, is it your experience that with those companies that are 
saying to their sales department, slow down. We don't need the, the work right now that the salespeople get out of practice. They like start sitting the bench and get a little flabby or like, what's the, what's the problem with just having them take some time off? You know, um, <laughs> like we, we, we just got done doing this uh, training on, on building high performance habits. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time in, in our day doing things that are somewhat automated and we don't think much about them. And uh, if you want to be high performing, well, you, then you got to learn the, the, the hard tasks to do and then do them automatically. Things like prospecting every day. You know, that just doesn't happen. And one thing I know about those habits, I, I, I think prospecting is a habit I've developed. And I, I got to tell you, um, I, I track it still, even though I, I do it 100% each week, I get the calls in. Um, I still track it because I know if I were to stop, then the habit decays very quickly. Now, here, and this is what I, Joe, this is what I, I worry about. Um, so these businesses have, have flipped into an order taking mode. Uh, these business owners are, are happy because, you know, the, the backlog is larger than it's ever been. The margins are higher than they've ever been, and, and they're just loving it. But their salespeople have been relegated to being customer service people, order fulfillment people, and order takers. And uh, they may have been great salespeople when they had to go out and get it. But here's what happens. Those difficult behaviors that they were able to master, if you don't keep doing them over time, they decay and you begin to fall back into a conformed state, something that is emotionally easy, something that is simple. Then what happens is that the supply chain begins to catch up. Demand begins to cool off. Uh, now we start wanting business, the phone ain't ringing as much, and now we're wanting business, and, and we've forgotten how to do it, not because we did, couldn't do it, but it's been so long since we have that that we're still thinking that if we just act as order takers, that's going to help us grow, and then all of a sudden, we're going to have, you're going to have problems. So uh, it's it's important, especially for, for C-suite uh, leaders, to make sure that your sales function stays very proactive and the habits that build business are not quickly forgotten, but are strengthened uh, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that uh, not only do they start conforming, but some of them might actually, I would guess, leave and look for a more challenging role again, that they're, they're wired for sales they're wild wired for prospecting for hunting. And if they just become order takers, they may get disgruntled or, or unhappy, maybe a better word, and look for something different. Could you lose yeah, some of the people that way? Because, well, think, think of what happens. Um, we're, we're paying salespeople based on performance, right? So, so, so they, they, they get all these orders and, then, and, then, and they're doing basically busy work, which, look, they may be stressed doing busy work, but it's not hard. You just, just got to get it done. And then we, we pay these salespeople a lot of money to do just that, and uh, and and so so emotionally speaking, you're doing the hard work, and then and then you infuse a reward into that. And so talk about building a, a habit of this is what I want to do, and this is I'm worth this much money. And now all of a sudden, the demand begins to, to fall away. Uh, the the business is not as easy, and the pay begins to fall off. Then they they might start complaining, say, Hey, I'm not. What, what's the deal here? And so you're absolutely right. They may they may think there's greener pastures elsewhere, and they may go looking for that, um, or they may just quit altogether because heck, they made a ton of money, and, and now I can yeah. live on this, and that, that'd be good. Uh, or they'll just try to they'll just try to capture and and hold on to these really good customers that are recurring revenue customers, 
And instead of going out and growing, they'll just try to hold on to what they have because that pays well. And, and if I can just get the commission off these accounts, I'll be fine. And then they resign themselves to, to the, where they're at, which again, human nature will absolutely drive you to that place because it's easy. There is a, a saying that, uh, that your listeners I'm sure are all familiar with. It's a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Well, if that bird in the hand is, is all these customers I built up and, and uh, now I'm just going to take care of them forget about the two in the bush. Uh, cause that, that's risk that, that, that I could lose everything. And, and then it's painful. Why would I do that? We at Sandler say that what a horrible saying that is, especially for the entrepreneur, for the sales professional, dump the one and jump into the bush to try to get the two. Cause if you are successful, that's a hundred percent increase, Joe. Yeah. And I know sea level people like those numbers. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm curious if. Have you seen any um, movement towards a fractional sales role? Yeah, we, you know, we've seen a lot of movement on fractional marketing, you know, fractional sure. CMO, certainly been the finance. I've seen it in fractional like, sales coaching. I've seen some of that. But have you seen any successful models out there with, with somebody who's approaching sales from a fractional where they're out there full-time salesperson working for a handful of clients? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. And I, honestly, I can tell you, I have not seen it working successfully. Um, and perhaps there are some reasons, you know, sales is a frontline job, meaning that you're putting your life out there on the line, uh, you know, comparatively speaking, obviously you're not going to die, but it's painful. Uh, customers are not nice. Uh, they can treat you poorly. I mean, it, it, it is a frontline position. And uh, nobody really wants to do that unless, unless they're why, unless, unless the purpose that they're pursuing is much larger. I kind of look at this, this journey of, uh, through sales towards one level of performance to a higher level and say, you've got, you have to go through the wilderness and the wilderness is filled with pain and suffering. And, uh, and the problem is, is if you're working for multiple clients and, uh, and you don't really get excited about any one of them, it, it's hard to stay in that. And, and, and I think, I think what happens is you just kind of quit on it and then you go to where it's easy. Maybe, maybe this one is easier because it's a bigger brand or, and, and I, 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 I'm a little, I'm making some assumptions here, but honestly, I have not seen it now. Now where I do see uh, uh, fractional uh, involvement in the sales side of it is with the management side. So uh, take, for example, a, a business leader. In fact, we just met with a, a, with a, a prospect just the other day. They're, they're a current client, actually. We do, we do sales training. But, but the president of the company is the sales manager. Yep. And he, he doesn't want to be the salesman. He, he, he's an operational guy. Uh, he's done great things on the sales side. And he's a great salesman himself. By the way, you have to be if you're going to be the C-level. It, it, it's, it's amazing how those people tend to appreciate and understand sales and what's involved in the risk taking that must be must be made um but he, he's an operational guy and and he thinks he can bring so much more value to his company if he focuses in on that and and really pours himself into that to, to making sure that that is where it needs to be well bring in fractional sales management he, he doesn't have a team large enough to justify the the expense of a six-figure salary uh to, to manage a, a relatively smaller team and so he, he says, can you guys manage my team as you train them even? And, uh, and, and, and so it, it's just a, a good example of, of how you can get some, some really good structured management, which 
which again has has accountability, uh, has expectation, has has the ability to uh, review performance, and and then even well hire and maybe even fire if if that's the right right thing, even on a fractional basis. And now the president feels good about it because he knows that 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 the system he wants is also then being managed by the very people who who are who are uh, uh, training it. But even if it weren't us, even if it was somebody else, let's say, uh, there, there's a real there's a real value. And I, I know there's other other uh, uh, fractional sales managers, even in our marketplace, that are having success uh, being that interim person until the sales team or the business grows to where they can justify now uh, have bringing that person on full time. So that that's where I see. Uh, the, the fractional piece uh, uh, inserting itself in the world of sales is more on the management side. Uh, I think some people try it on, on the sales side, uh, but but uh, I have not seen anyone uh, share with me that it's been successful. I, I'll add one more thing. One area that they do fractional stuff in on is the uh, prospecting side. And even that is... And if I, I, I don't hear a lot of good stories about that because uh, prospecting now, I, I often call prospecting, that's that's the union between the marketing effort and the sales effort. And now what prospecting does is we're trying to inject enough energy to get prospects to move into the sales funnel by calling them and saying, hey, what do you think? And if they've been marketed on and uh, they know know who you are and, and uh, are sympathetic to the message, they're likely going to come into your sales funnel. Well, so if you hire a fractional person to do that, first of all, that's tough work. <laughs> Nobody likes doing that work. So the fractional companies, you know, they're just they're just doing the call so that they can get the numbers done and and they, they might get paid for an appointment. But but the appointments I've been hearing are, are not good. They're not well qualified. They're, they're just they're just trying to get the appointment. And uh, and it doesn't really end up paying well for, and for the, uh, you know, for for, for the, the customer. Um, there are a lot of firms that, that actually do that for, for people. Um, but where I've seen the greatest success is where the business owner brings in what I'll call an inside sales team, trains them on a methodology that they believe in, gets them to understand their culture, their philosophy. They're the ones that will make those calls and set the appointments. Much better uh, quality in those appointments than if a third party does it. So we've seen a little bit of the fractional uh, sales uh, on that side of it uh, with some of some some businesses out there. Yeah, I concur with everything you said. I've certainly seen the sales management be done well as from a fractional standpoint. There's 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 some good success there. Management slash coaching, and I've seen the fractional sales role not work. Uh, and I and I've seen a lot of people trying to kind of emulate that through the prospecting whether it be door openers or call centers, even some email outsourced SDR services. And uh, we've tried many of those at your, at your CMO for our clients when it you know, made sense to make a test or experiment and, and for us ourselves. And we've yet to find a really good option there. And I'm curious about that last thing you mentioned about bringing inside salespeople, yeah. training them to your methodology, which could be a Sandler methodology. And investing in building that internally as a core competency. Yeah. Have you seen that successful utilizing overseas talent? Do you envision um, that how that could be successful using a team from the Philippines that was full time or yeah. 
from Mexico or some other country? So, so I do have some clients um, that, that uh, their entire sales function is remote. In other words, they're based in York, Nebraska. They're salespeople all, all over the country. And, uh, and, and basically, the, the, the virtual platform is the way that they engage until it gets qualified to a certain point. And then once they really believe that there's business to be had, then they'll begin to invest by, by visiting the customer and, uh, and, and then developing a solution. Um, and, uh, and some of these people are, are, are what I'll call inside. Uh, now they're not, they're not, uh, international, um, but they're inside and, and they, they are employed by the company. And so, so they're trained by the company on, on, uh, you know, of course, what it is that they sell and also on, 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 on the methodology that they sell in this case, it's SAMR, but it could be any, it could be any methodology, at least one that's consistent, right. With the culture, with the, with the, with the methodology that they want to embrace, that's the key. And that works very successfully. So look, I think if you're going to bring in labor from overseas and to, to, uh, to, to do inside sales, I, I don't know if, if thinking about it in a fractional uh, perspective is, is the right way to do it, because well, I would look at it as it. I would just thinking about it as you mentioned as a full time, okay, dedicated yeah, yeah. employee in the Philippines. Yep. It was an inside salesperson just in Manila instead of Miami. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think mean, you're onto something because now I can train them, I can I- I inculcate them. I can I can make sure that they appreciate um, what we stand for as as a business. Uh, help them appreciate the value we bring, and then teach them the methodology that we want them to use when they engage and touch touch potential uh, customers. Um, I think then they uh, they they have the ability to well go a little bit deeper on 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 the prospecting effort, trying to set that appointment, and then set the kind of appointments where there's real opportunities. In other words, they're setting opportunities that might drive to business instead of just setting opportunities for the sake of setting the appointment, because that's how they're measured. Right. Um, and uh, I, I think that could work uh, again. What, as long as they're an employee and yep. they're, they're, they're excited about and, and, and will, and will believe in what we're doing um, whether they're in the Philippines or in the U S I mean, what difference would that make? Yeah. That's good. I, I, I kind of thought the same. I thought it doesn't really matter. I think the full time is the key. It, it does. Yeah. In my experience, and I've worked with part time and full time people for 15 years, and I've never found a part time role, period, that's worked out well because part timers are part time because they're either in between jobs or they're not looking for any consistency at all. And so they come and go fast. Um, you can train them and then they, they go to a full-time role and you've lost them. Yeah. Across the board, almost every role I've ever been in where I've tried to fit a part-timer in, it's just been di- super difficult. Yeah. Because um, you, you just know, spend a lot of energy getting up to speed and then you yeah. sit to them and they're gone. You know, it's kind of like, uh, what do you want on your team? Do you want a mercenary or do you want a patriot? Do you want someone who's just getting paid to get a task done and that's all they're going to do and they're just going to give you the minimum to get it done, especially in the world of sales, it's such an emotional task. It wears you out. And I, look, I don't tell you that as, a, as somebody who's training sales. I tell you because I'm a sales guy. I'm in it. I mean, we're, we're out there doing it. And that, 
I mean, making making the calls and trying to set appointments, it is tiresome. It is, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. And uh, Joe, I, I, I'm going to tell you that, that uh, given the choice, I'll, I'll, I'll do the absolute minimum and nothing more uh, if that's what the job requires. And, and I think the results then track with that. And yeah. so uh, getting people on that will be real patriots who are, who are there fighting because they're not just trying to get a task done, but they believe in what they're doing as, as being a betterment to the customers that they're trying to serve. Dang. I realized, I realized you just, I, I was thinking about what I just said, you know, in some ways fractional is part-time. So if when I say I've never seen a part-time role be successful, <laughs> I want to, yeah. I want to clarify that yeah. we, we won't even hire a part-time team member to be a fractional CMO um, because we look for people are full-time committed to being a fractional professional, which means yeah their plan and they have a system to work full-time offering their services to two or three people. And I think that's the, that's the clarifier that I want to make sure I make uh, before I anger all my fractional professional friends out there. We found that when we've tried to take somebody who's currently working full-time and give them a second job as a fractional, it doesn't work out because they, 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 they burn out. Um, we've found that people that are truly in between jobs that are part-time interim, just looking for some extra work as fractionals, they end up getting that full-time job and they leave. So we've just found out ourselves that when somebody's committed full-time to a fractional way of doing things, then it works mm -hmm. out really well. And, uh, and I think that's. Well, that's so, so think of it like this. So, so, you know, a lot of small businesses, they don't have a person for every function of the business. Yeah. So, so one person will have to wear multiple hats. Well, basically what they are is they're a fractional marketing person, a fractional salesperson, uh, a, a fractional operations person. Now, well, how does it, why does it work there? Well, because they believe and they, they know that they got to make this work. And so they're hundred percent all in and they'll, they'll stay in it when it, when it's difficult. I mean, here, I'm a business owner and I can tell you that, that when it comes to the accounting services, I do not have a full-time accountant, accountant working for me. I bring in the fractional accountant because they're experts in that, which I am not, and they bring value to my business. And that's all they do. They just do accounting. They're not, that's not a fractional accountant who then goes and becomes a, a fractional uh, CFO and then, and then goes and, and becomes a, a, a fractional marketing person for someone else and then a fractional something else for somebody else. They are, they are focused on the task. They are, they are highly professional in that role. And therefore, can bring value to me, even on a part-time basis. Like, Joe, that's what you're doing. I mean, that's yeah. what you're talking about. This is why it works, even if you're looking for a fractional sales manager, because again, you want to you want to deal with somebody that that's their expertise. That's what they do, and they understand it. They systematized it, and they understand the KPIs. They know how to hold people accountable, and they can bring that value to your company at a fraction of the cost if you were to try to bring it in full time. Uh, and a lot lower risk because the disengagement is certainly a little bit easier when you're dealing with a fractional organization as opposed to an, an employee where their family is depending on you. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, there's a real, real space for for what you are doing. And uh, and I have evidence to that because uh, I use it myself. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit. And it's uh, not very far of a, a switch, but. Sandler has been a leader in the, the, the sales training and, and uh, systems kind of for a long time. And I'm curious, since 
the pandemic, how has how has Sandler adjusted its training or its methodology or its fundamentals or practices um, as it relates to kind of this new remote reality that we live in? And from a sales standpoint, it's a lot more of this on Zoom than it is in person. Yeah. What's, what's Sandler yeah. kind of thinking around that? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good question, and and just like everyone else's uh, business, our, our business has changed. Uh, you know, when the, when the when the pandemic first happened, and people were just crazy, uh, it was not good for us. Uh, people saw us as a non-essential, and uh, we did see some attrition uh, of our business. Uh, actually, I was quite terrified in the in, in during those times because I, I didn't know if we were going to be able to keep the doors open, and and uh, but we had customers that stayed with us. Um, certainly, uh, uh, sales became more challenging and, and where there's pain, there typically is opportunity to, to, to sell. Uh, I can tell you from our business, we had to adjust. We had to change. I, you know, I built this training center. You know, they say, if you build it, they will come. Joe, they're not coming. And they weren't coming then for sure, right? Because, uh, you know, you can't, the, the pandemic, you, you know, social distancing. So, so they were not coming. And, uh, and that, that, uh, that was concerning. So we really had to become experts at managing the virtual platform because if we could not deliver our product at a very high level through through a, a, a virtual platform, then we were going to be closing our doors. So so it was a necessity for us to appreciate this. I can tell you what's happened today. Today, we're, we're every training session that we've done that we do is 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 either 100% hybrid or 100% virtual, or it's a hybrid where we have a number of people that are in the room. And then there are people that join us virtually, and then we train in that fashion. And uh, we have to get good at producing that, at delivering that, and, and making sure that everybody that's there feels like this has been uh, of good value. Because otherwise, they won't come back, and they won't, we won't, they won't stay. I think we're doing pretty good because we, we our customers are staying, uh, they like it. And now, what's happening is I'll have clients that are two miles, they live two miles away, <laughs> and they still beam in virtually. I mean, come on, come to the door training center. Would you? We built this for you. Um, now, uh, another thing that, that, that that's kind of happened, which maybe is a good thing now, uh, is since people are certainly much more uh, agreeable to the virtual platform and they don't see it as a negative, but perhaps as a positive, uh, it has expanded our ability to reach more people. Um, now, look, I so I have a franchise certificate in both Nebraska and Iowa. I got to tell you, when you got it, when you got trainings happening in, in, in Omaha, Sioux City and Des Moines, there's a lot of real estate that we're just not getting to people if they want to do live training. Well, now bringing to this virtual platform that we have, we now have customers out in Western Nebraska. We have customers uh, in Central Nebraska. We have customers in Western Iowa. In fact, we go all the way up to the Mississippi River. Um, and we have clients that, that, that beam in from Florida, from California, from uh, Ohio, from uh, 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 the Chicago area. Uh, they can beam in. And, 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 and so that really has allowed us to, well, not be worried about where the customer lives anymore. Uh, if they're a customer that we believe needs help from our sales training, we can prospect them. And we have a good solution to offer that works and, and, uh, and, and can give them the value that they're looking for. Uh, even if they can't come live, so that that's been perhaps a a, a benefit to uh, to the changes that have happened, and uh, I can tell you that that our 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 business is growing now again, and uh, and we're, we're 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 excited about what's coming. We think it's good. good. How about with with uh, a focus on the actual salesperson, the sales professional? 
what kind of guidance do you give there as it relates to hybrid, virtual, in-person? Is the professional having to change his or her approach? Are they having to learn new skills so they're more effective online? Uh, I know that it's a lot easier to sell face-to-face than prospecting like this, building trust, uh, picking up on cues, communicating. Have you gone through um, a lot of work from that endpoint at Sandler? Yeah, Joe, you're asking great questions. Um, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the the virtual platform for salespeople is something that all salespeople now have to really evaluate and 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 work in because uh, look, the technology and and the the mindset that people have about this. It, 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 look, it, it, it's a, it's a, an acceptable way to communicate, acceptable way to, 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 to do transactions. Um, and, uh, and you cannot deny the scalability that it brings to the sales professional. I mean, if I were to tell you what, what was going on just today in terms of my schedule, um, I, uh, I started off with, uh, with a, a virtual training. Then I went into a virtual meeting with a client that I'm going to be doing training later this month. Then I went into a virtual sales call. And then I went into a virtual a meeting with another client. And they all were back to back to back. Now, if those all were going to be live sessions, no way would I be able to get that kind of work done in a single day. But because we have this technology, you can just put things back to back to back. Now, you got you to manage it. You got to make sure you're prepared for that because it comes at you like a, like a ton of bricks if you're, <laughs> if you're not ready. Yeah. Because and, and you better work in bathroom breaks too. By the way, I, I learned that you got to have bathroom breaks worked in because you go from one virtual meeting to the next and you never can get away. Um, Why isn't the like the calendar and Zoom defaults now like forty minutes? It should be automatic. <laughs> Nothing's an hour anymore. It's twenty or forty. That that should become the new norm. That should. That should. I mean, I got. A, I I'm a, a biological creature. I got. I got certain needs. I got. To, I got to take care of some things here. <laughs> But uh, you cannot deny uh, how that how how the scalability works. And look, I'm okay with uh, with salespeople saying I hate virtual. I want to do face to face. Look, all, all power to you. Go do the face to face. I have a client that that loves the face to face. You know, and they're very good when they get into face to face. But you got to recognize that the technology is available, and, you, and and your competition can leverage it, and they can perhaps get some competitive advantage if they're able to use it to scale and, and increase their effectiveness. So I'm going to tell you a quick story. So um, we we had this client, and uh, they had about uh, they had about uh, 12 salespeople that were that were placed throughout the country, and they would have multi-state territories. And typically, what they would do is they would they would drive out to see their customers, and, and in about two weeks, they'd see them all. And uh, and then they would turn and and uh, and and uh, and then support them. Well, then the pandemic comes, and now they can't go in. They can't go see them. So now they have to communicate to them virtually. Well, they learned very quickly that that a two week tour could be done in two days. And uh, and wow, did that and 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 they found that we were we're getting everything done virtually that we were otherwise getting done. Um, uh, you know, when we were there in person. Um, perhaps there were some things that, that, that weren't as good, but, but, uh, something might have even been better. Um, and, uh, so as, as we were training them, they did have some attrition. And what was so interesting is that the, the president did not replace anybody. Okay. In other words, they just returned, they just expanded the territories. 
And, uh, and so they ended up with about eight salespeople after, after a couple of years, eight salespeople. The business grew. The business did not shrink. The business grew. They were still covering the customers. And it was all because of the increased scalability that the virtual platform gave them. And can you imagine if you're the president of that company, your sales grows, but you're able to do it with fewer uh, human resources. Uh, you can imagine what that does to the bottom line and how, and how that it, it uh, improves the margin. Uh, it, it was it was a big impact, and uh, it was all because they they were able to leverage leverage the the, uh, the virtual technology, um, and uh, so I think I think it's something that the sales professional has to think about. And and as you think about it, if you're going to leverage it, then you you need to be an expert at it. You, you got to be good. You got to know how to dress. You got to know how to look. You got to know how to get lighting. You got to know how to position cameras. And 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 I don't know if you noticed, but um, I, I got a computer screen and my, my camera is not right in the screen. My camera's above it, but I've trained myself to be looking at the camera, not the screen, so that when I'm talking, people think I'm looking at them. These yeah. are the small little things that, that a sales professional really need to be experts at if this is the platform you're really going to leverage. Um, and, uh, and so all those things are, are, are a part of our profession now. And we need to be professional at, at doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you for elaborating on that because I, I do think the the role of a sales professional has changed, and the professional needs to learn how to be. It sounds like more productive virtually than at least as productive. Uh, it's different and it works. And some professionals are well. I think by now, because we were all forced into it, it were, most people are pretty good at it. Well, yeah, we, we had no choice, right? It's yeah. trial by fire. <laughs> had to figure it out. You had to figure it out. You know, I'll, I'll add one more thing uh, on, on, the, on how virtual is impacting uh, sales. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, clients and sales companies out there, part of their sales process is that demos must be done. Um, we had a client at Council Bluffs that they always would go out and do a demo first. And, uh, and then once they saw the demo, they would have a highly likelihood of closing. Well, the pandemic shut that down. And, uh, and the salespeople kind of panicked because it was so ingrained in their process that if they didn't get to show the customer really how this would be a benefit to them in their own facility, that, that, that they wouldn't buy it. And guess what? They started struggling. And, uh, and so we said, look, you got to figure out how to do a virtual demo. You got to figure out how to do the demo as if you were in their facility, uh, showing them how it would work and how it would uh, work in there. You have to invest, perhaps build a production studio, uh, whatever you got to do. If this is part of the process, you got to figure that out. Well, they figure it out. And now they do these virtual demos and they're very good. And now they're closing deals again. But the cool thing about it is that when you're doing a virtual demo, it is a fraction of the cost. Yeah. Of trying to go do a demo on site. And, and now they're actually getting an ROI on the whole deal. I mean, so again, talking about how it's changing business and, and, uh, and the pandemic for the most part is, is over. And, and yet we're still doing this virtual stuff because uh, I think we appreciate uh, the value that really is in it. And, and so there we are, there we are doing it. We've been a virtual company before the pandemic. Our first client was out of Missoula, Montana. We're based here in Omaha. And we used, we used Zoom back then. Uh, it was around before the pandemic. Yep. But the pandemic forced us all in. And uh, along with all of our clients, and it became much, became much more common and acceptable. 
what we found is that we are realizing that with with clients and with the with the relationship that a CMO needs to have with their clients to be successful, it's so dependent upon trust and trust with all the team members at the C-suite, not just the, the owner or the, the business leader, that we've not taken a step back, but we've, we've added the requirements for all of our new engagements to kick off in person so that we can, we know that most of the rest of the time, it's going to be like this, but we want to have at least the first engagement kicked off first port part of our engagements kicked off in person. And then we highly recommend the quarterly uh, in-person touches when we can make them. Uh, and so some of our CMOs were like, gosh, that's going to be a lot of work. I, I live in Seattle. I got to get to Miami. Maybe that's not really cost effective for me or the client. And my response has been, it's an investment in the relationship. It's an investment in the long-term relationship of the business. And it's definitely cost effective. It just you may be not willing to take that time. And, and that's your, your prerogative. Yep. We've had our customers, not one of them, when we asked that for them to do it and pay the additional costs to bring us in, has pushed back at all because they're actually excited to meet their new CMO and to, to kick off this new adventure that they're going on with us. So the, the investment on the client side has been exciting. A little pushback from some of our CMOs because it's not they don't want to do it. They don't want to add an expense to their client you know, early in engagement when they don't need to. But if we think about it, it's an investment in that yeah. long-term relationship. It makes a lot more sense. Look, I, I look at this virtual uh, technology. It, it just gives, it gives us options on, on how we want to engage and, and how we want to develop trust, build relationships. And, and uh, this is not a replacement to shaking hands with your customers. Yeah. Um, this is just a, an augmentation of how we do business. And, and so we look at it like that. I, mean, I still do live training. Uh, we still do in-house. I, I fly to people's places and we do training there because they, they want they want it to be live. They, but uh, goodness, I mean, it, it, but it, we, we still appreciate what it can do for us. And uh, and it's not all in. It, it's, it's just uh, an option. And so recognize it as such. And I, I think you'll find how to fit it in nicely so that it really helps you be better at what you're doing. And uh, in in we still do business the old-fashioned way. <laughs> so, Speaking yeah. of old-fashioned, what, uh, what's something you like to do for fun, Carl? What do I like to do for fun? Well, um, I, love, I love, love to play golf. I uh, love, love, love to ride bikes. Um, uh, I, I, I love ministry. I, I, I love uh, uh, studying uh, uh, the good book. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know why I did this. My wife's not happy with me, but... Um, I decided to run a marathon and I'm in the midst of uh, training for that. In fact, it's just five weeks away. I'm, I'm going to do this. Uh, we're running from park city to salt Lake. I thought it'd be easy because it's all downhill. Um, <laughs> but uh, I tell you what, it, it, that has been a trial. I wish I wouldn't have signed up for that, but now that I've committed to it, I, I, I gotta, I gotta finish. And so I'm going to finish. I promise it'll be the only one I ever run. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. That's I've, uh, I've ran a half. Uh, but nice. not full. And yeah. the half was quite a you know stretch for me when I was done with the half. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do it full. I could do another yeah. half, but I'm not sure I'd want to do that twice <laughs> back to back. Um, 
regarding uh regarding golf where where uh where do you like you know besides omaha and your home courses where do you like to play or where would you love to eventually get a chance to play well i uh so i have a brother who uh who has a beach house in myrtle beach and uh so uh, every year we I go out with him and a bunch of guys and and we uh, we do a, a golf extravaganza for over three days, and uh, I tell you what that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, great golf courses in Myrtle Beach, perhaps uh, the best maybe, and uh, so I, I enjoy that and and um, do love the game and and uh, we decided we're going to plan a trip to, over to Ireland to play some of the old courses and. Uh, and, and and that's definitely a bucket list uh, uh, item that uh, we're going to be able to check off. So we're going to head out there in June and uh, spend a week. Uh, oh, so you are you have uh, you've already got your reservations. I was talking to a friend of mine, John Lund. Uh, you know, yeah, he uh, just got back from his golf, eight day golf trip in Ireland, nice. and he said one of most of the courses that they played at are booked through next September, 2023. It's insane because they were shut down for a couple of years and everybody's trying to catch up to get back. But he said the golf was amazing. Some of the courses were just unreal. Yeah. Well, kudos to you. You got, you got in, you're going to make it. Yeah. I'm going to have to get used to working with a caddy because I guess you can't take buggies out onto the, onto the golf course. So you walking only and uh, you got to bring a caddy with you. Are you, um, how long are you going to be over there? Uh, it's, uh, it'll be, uh, it'll be seven days. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Four, four days of golf and then uh, one day of tourism and the rest of the days for travel. That'll be terrific. Yeah. Yep. What's your favorite, uh, non Myrtle beach, co- like, uh, place you've played in the U S non Myrtle beach. Well, um, it's, it's right here in Nebraska. Really? Which one? There is a golf course out near uh, out, out in the out in the plains of Nebraska. It's called Sand Hills. So I don't know Sand if you know it, yeah. it. And uh, I, I used to be in the heating and air conditioning business, folks. Um, so uh, the, the guy who developed that needed some heat pumps for his uh, cabins that he had out there. And uh, and I, uh, <laughs> I I said I can help you. So uh, so we sold him some equipment and got to know the guy. And uh, even was able to get a contractor out there who was having to be out there when the other developer, Ben Crenshaw, right? Ben Crenshaw, right? The, the PGA player. Uh, he was out there too and, and, uh, and got to meet him. I was a little jealous about that. But uh, so I've been out there a number of times and, and uh, have played that. And, and that really is a golf experience because uh, there, there's humanity is, is completely absent. There is nobody out there except for you and, and the golf hole you're on and uh in the wilderness that you happen to be in it was an absolute exceptional golf experience um that one i'll never forget yeah just because of of, i mean the golf holes were cool but it was just the it was the entire experience um uh, we was out there and and then we're 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 at at the bar and you know it's a very small number of people because they only have so many cabins only so many people can be there glenn campbell (laughs) <laughs> comes out and plays a little music for the, <laughs> for the people in this small. I mean, there's about 12 of us, and Glenn Campbell whips out his guitar and starts playing a song. I mean, how about that? Now, you try to duplicate that. I bet you can't duplicate that. No, no, I can't. I can I can tell you when I was in um, 
on a, a it might have been a bachelor party or weekend or just a guy's weekend, but it was a group of guys. We were down in Dallas playing this. Um, oh, what's the name of it? A course. It means cowboy in um, Spanish. Quintero or no Vaquero is the name of the course. And second day, we're we're. This is when I used to be a little bit of a drinker. We were all hungover the next morning. We're all sitting at breakfast. We're having you know bloody marys and making fun of each other. And right next to us, at the table right next to us, is Terry Bradshaw doing the exact same thing with a couple of other his NFL buddies. Like that's as close to your story as I can get. We were at this really <laughs> fun club. You turn and you pull up the first day you get there and they're greeting you by name. Like they've already studied your profile. They know who you are. Like, Hey, Mr. Frost, how are you? And uh, it was an amazing experience, but <laughs> the golf was fun. The golf was fun too. I, I enjoyed the game. I played Sandhills uh, once a long time ago, a couple of days, and that that is a beautiful course. Yeah, it really is. What's your handicap? Well, that's kind of like asking how much I weigh or how old I am. Yeah. Oh, geez. You know, I'm 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 not that great. I mean, I'm, I'm a bogey golfer, and I uh, I try to I, I my I, as soon as I get done with this marathon crap and. I, I promise you, I will. I will focus on my game and, and get it get it honed in because I think that's that's going to be the the path of uh, my older years is uh, a lot of golf and yeah. uh, and I want to play well. So good. Well, we should get out and play sometime. We I would like that. You betcha. Another. Do you like a good course here and uh, you enjoy in town? Why, yeah. I tell you what, I uh, I think uh, Indian Creek is is awesome. I, I love that, and that's of course public. When it comes to the private courses, I mean Happy Hollow is, is tough to beat. I, I love how that lays out, and uh, um, and so those are probably my my two favorites. Yeah, you got the PGA Championship uh, tournament going on right now, Indian Creek. So I'm I'm heading out there Sunday to catch. The, nice. Yeah, make uh, sure you've got yeah. the, a VIP pass into a hospitality tent because it's gonna yeah, be they a, do. It's going to be like a hundred and something, right? Well, good. Well, we will, uh, we'll, we'll spare our listeners more golf talk. Uh, We're starting to get a little uh, Omaha golf talk is probably when we should end our conversation. (laughs) I'd be happy to talk more about it if you like. I know we get to compare all sorts of notes. Yeah. uh, I've appreciated the the time. Uh, Very great conversation. Uh, We went down a lot of different paths. Um, I, I really value your expertise and, and what you've done over the years. And, and I know you're a, um, you, you've done a lot for a lot of businesses and a lot of people I know speak really highly of you. So thank you for spending time with me today. I you really bet. appreciate it. You bet. And Joe, I'd, I'd say the same about what you do and, and in the space that you have. Uh, I've seen you in a lot of places and I know you bring tremendous value, especially to those companies that are trying to figure out how to, how to get themselves known in the market. Um, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I feel like we, even though it's been a little bit since we did business and now I, I felt like you hadn't been that far because I always kept seeing your work and, and it's all been very good. So yeah, it's been fun. Enjoyed this. Great. And to our listeners, thank you for listening and putting up with the uh, golf stories at the end. Uh, if you want to reach out to Carl, we've got his, uh, show information in the show notes. I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you about, uh, 
top holes, his holes in one, and all the other good stuff, as well as sales and sales management. I've never had one. I'm going for it soon, though. All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a great listen, and we'll talk to you next week. And that's a wrap. There's another successful episode of the Fractional C-Suite Retreat. See our show notes and more episodes at fractionalcsuiteretreat.com. This podcast is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow, save time and money with better marketing strategy and fractional execution. Visit them at yorcmo.com, yourcmo.com, spelled wrong on purpose.